You're listening to Thrive, your agency resource, the only podcast of its kind for creative, media, and technology leaders who are ready to dive deeper into consciousness, leadership, and agency growth. I'm your host, Kelly Campbell. This year, Thrive is brought to you by E2M Solutions, a trusted white label partner to hundreds of digital agencies across the globe. Visit e2msolutions.com forward slash thrive today. Welcome back to another episode of Thrive. We're bombarded every day with messaging from ads to instructions, articles, social media, and lots of warnings. But how many of these messages really stick? Regardless of the intention, the most memorable and effective messaging all share one thing. They're simple and they're clear. Today, I welcome back to the podcast, Ben Gutman, whose new book, Simply Put, is a guide for helping us communicate more effectively. Ben, thank you for joining me again, my friend. You may be, I think you're the only repeat guest on the show. I think that's true. So really? Wow. I think that's true. So thanks for joining me again. That's an incredible honor. I'm so happy to be here. I'm excited to talk about the book. I'm excited to catch up. And this is always a real treat. This is going to be a very different conversation from the conversation we had last time. And I'll probably even link to that because I think that's always a very timely conversation. I think we were talking about racism in America. So that's a good one. I loved this book. Thank you for writing it. You, it seems like from sort of the preface and, and some of the, you know, sort of more introductory content, you've been asked one question by clients and students throughout your career. You've been an agency owner and a professor, still a professor. Why do some messages work and others don't? It kind of seemed to me like you wrote the book to find the answer once and for all. This was like your crusade. Is that, (laughs) am I on the right track? Yeah, effectively, right? So I ran this marketing agency for 10 years. I sold this about a year ago, about a year and a half ago. And it was a wild ride. I really enjoyed working with our clients and our team, all that stuff. But when you're in the thick of things, you can know what to do. Right. You can know that you want to go and then run this campaign or launch that brand or write this in the proposal. Right. But it's a whole different thing to have the space to be able to kind of think about well, why does that work and how can we systemize the ability to, to create messaging that works and messaging from a marketing standpoint, but also any sort of situation where you have to inform or persuade that's messaging. Right. And that could be an internal email. It could be a political situation. It could be a lot of different things. So after we sold the business, I was able to take a step back and this question kept lingering. And I said, let's go investigate it. Let's go write a whole book about it. Yeah. So you say that simplicity is a function of fluency. Can you talk about how we experience fluency in messaging? Because I thought this was pretty fascinating. Oh, yeah. So this this ends up being the like foundation for the whole why of the book is this idea of fluency. This is a word. We know, right? You and I can be fluent in English or Spanish or Mandarin. We can be fluent in cheese or in baseball. There's a lot of different things that we can experience as fluent, which means the word comes from flowing, where things are fluent and things are easy. We understand them. We don't have to labor too hard for them. From a cognitive science perspective, if you ask one of them, fluency basically means it's easier to take from out in the world, stick in your head and make sense of it. It's easier to read something, to see something, to hear something. It's easier to process the thing that came in for those senses. And when you look at the science across all sorts of different arenas, things that are more fluent, we like them better. We trust them more. We're more likely to buy them, which if you're a marketer, these are all good things. On the other side of the equation, 
things that take a lot of effort, things that make us sweat, things that are harder to read, see, understand, are associated with the opposite side of that feelings equation, right? It's the, it, we don't trust them. We don't like them. We don't want to buy them. And when, again, we're in the position of informing or persuading, those aren't good things. So that's where we are in terms of what we want, what we want in terms of the messaging, the communication that we get. We want it to be fluent. The problem is when we're wearing the other shoes, when we're a sender instead of a receiver, all the forces are pushing us in the other direction. Mm -hmm. The other big component, I guess I would call, so that's foundational, right, for this book. But the other big component, sort of the meat of it is all to do with complication. And I loved how you kind of framed these, the, you know, three sins and the difference between complex and complicated when it comes to messaging, because I had never thought about those two things as I almost, to be honest, I kind of thought of them as synonymous. And so I loved how you pulled these apart and kind of explored a little bit more and sort of excavated what is it about being complicated that is so problematic. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Oh, definitely. So complicated versus complex. Uh, there are lots of complex things. Complexity is where there's lots of pieces, lots of interactions between the pieces. Something like international diplomacy is complex. Something like the human eyeball is complex. But complicated is when something could be simple, but we make it complex. When we didn't do the hard work of simplifying, of distilling, of getting to the essence. So the bad Airbnb check-in instructions those are complicated. But the, again, the international like peace accord, that's complex. The, the terrible instruction manual for your fax machine or your printer is complicated because they didn't do the hard work of saying, okay, how do we make this simple? We will deal with complicated things. We put up with complex things all the time yeah. when it's worth it. We will read war and peace. We will learn how to play, you know, the piano. And these are, these are complex things, but we don't do that. Like we don't do that when we're not motivated to do that. And if you're in the business of marketing, I'm sorry, but like your ad for a, a new shampoo is is not going to meet the muster for somebody willing to do the effort for complicated. Right. Yeah, I liked how you also used you know legal ease, and you had all of these kind of <laughs> uh, things in there. There are just some things that our brains cannot receive that much input. They cannot make sense of them. And as soon as you you know people use the phrase all the time, you lost me at. X, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's really, to me, what complicated is. It's it's unnecessary. So it, I don't know, some of the applications for what you're talking about, it made me start to think about the messaging that some of my clients use in whether they have an agency or another type of business or you know, another, oh, yeah. another type of organization, how they talk about themselves, their positioning messaging, you know, all of that. It doesn't need to be complicated. In fact, it can't be complicated. Would you say that it could be complex in those examples or does that really not work so well either one thing i hit on at the very end of the book is sometimes something being disfluent something being com more complicated more complex does work right so there's the famous example of the betty crocker cake mix which is anecdote you'll find in a thousand business books including this one which is when betty crocker in the middle of the 20th century introduced a cake mix. It didn't require anything besides water. Turns out homemakers hated it because just adding water felt like cheating. It didn't feel like I was actually for the bake sale or for my friends or for my family. It felt like I was just going to the drive-thru for something. <laughs> so 
what they did is instead of keeping it as just that water, they said, well, also add an egg. They took out the dried egg, the, the freeze-dried egg, and they made you kind of crack your own and put it in there. And all of a sudden, sales shot up. People enjoyed it more. It was better. So something being more complicated, I mean, taking more effort in that scenario was more successful. Yeah. Uh, but it's called instrumentality heuristic. It's the idea is like if you work really hard on a PhD, you also appreciate the honor of the PhD a lot more than if you just got, you know, someone just handed you the document, right? Sure. The thing is, it's like a rope. Like complicated, it can only pull, it can't push. If somebody's motivated to hear what you have to say or to internalize your message or your your slogan or whatever, they will work for it. And sometimes making them work a little bit extra, you know, is contrary to the main theme of the book, will actually endear them more. But on everything else, on which is most things where we're waking up every day and we're not caring about your new shampoo ad or your new political slogan. It needs to be something that's easier and simpler for somebody to understand. Right, right. Hey, let's take a quick break. Did you know that there's a better way to scale your agency? Whether it's web design, development, e-commerce, content, SEO, or even hosting, E2M is the reliable white label partner you wish you knew about years ago. Personally, I'm proud to partner with E2M because of our alignment in values and ethics. Head over to e2msolutions.com forward slash thrive to learn more. Now, let's get back to the show. So in that realm, let's talk about design. Uh, Tons of the audience members here are in the design field, own design agencies, or design as part of their digital marketing or branding organization. So looking at users, constraints, and consequences, you discovered five shared principles kind of among these. So can we talk a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned design, right? So the the word design is right there in the subtitle. And that was intentional. That was one of those things I was like going back and forth with with the uh, publisher to, to make sure that that it wasn't about how to say them. It wasn't about how to, to create them. It's about design because my functional background is in design. It's not an art function. It's a business function. It's about how do you arrange things in the world to achieve a goal. And I think that this is a process and a set of, of values and ideas and tools that we can use to help us with getting to fluency, getting to simplicity. And I've identified in the book, uh, after reviewing you know, research and history and statistics, all these things, uh, five different principles. This is not a checklist. It's not a step-by-step program. It's just these are five design principles for uh, a simple message. You, you activate on more of them, you're going to be better off, but it's you don't have to follow them in order. There are two that are purposely where they are them. The first one is one of them, which is beneficial. What does it matter to the receiver? What's in it for them? And this is something anybody who's working in sales or marketing will get this immediately. This is like 101, yeah. right? like features versus benefits. People don't buy the thing. They buy what the thing does for them. One of my favorite quotes is in the book. And I also say this to all my students, which is if you, if you don't remember anything else from this class, from this whole degree that you're taking, remember this line. And it's from Theodore Levitt, who's a 20th century marketing professor. People don't want a quarter inch drill. They want a quarter inch hole. They don't want the quarter inch drill. They want the quarter inch hole. They don't want the thing. They want what the thing does for them. And so this one's first on purpose because you have to talk about benefits to meet somebody where they are in terms of their motivations and their desires. Absolutely. Um, and so that, that's at the top. Then we have focus. Are you trying to say one thing or are you saying multiple things at once? Is it three ideas in a trench coat or is it, or is it one idea? Next one is salient. 
does your message stand out from the noise? Does it zig when everybody else is zagging? Is it contrasting with the background? Does it rise to your attention? The next one is empathetic. Are you speaking in a language that the audience understands? Mm-hmm. Both in terms of their literal language, are you meeting them with, with words that are understood, as well as where they are in terms of their emotions, their motivations, and their their state of being? And then finally, the last one is minimal. And this one is also to pair of beneficial purposely where it is, because it's about, is it everything you need, but only what you need? Mm-hmm. Have you cut out everything else that isn't important? Uh, and you can't really know that unless you go through and evaluate some of these other pieces there as well. And to wrap up this piece, I always have to carve out this difference when we talk about minimal, because it's easy to look at this book and say, well, you know, it should be the fewest number of words, right? But it's not about the least amount of words or sentences or paragraphs. It's about the least amount of friction. Mm-hmm. So the user experience designer will know this, right? It's about getting somebody from from where they are to where you want them to go with the fewest bumps in the road. And sometimes that means more paragraphs or pages or slides, but it's correlated with less, but it doesn't necessarily, that's not what we're optimizing for there. Yeah. The first thing that I thought of as you were just saying that was type form, right? So mm. taking like the static, really clunky, old school static boxes of like, I've got to fill this in and then click tab and then fill this in, right? And even though everything is there in front of me, it just feels kind of awful, like I just always have this experience as a user when I'm filling out a form that I don't love. Enter type form, this fluid conversational mm-hmm. thing, it's like, it's magic, right? And so the fluency and the design of that and the simplicity of that experience, and of course, the way that you craft the messaging and the questions that you're asking, but I don't know, is the first thing that that came to me as you were just saying that. That is an excellent example. I love, and I love type form. I'll happily pay whatever horrible fees they're charging me instead of of the free Google Docs one. Luckily, they're Uh, not a sponsor, so we can, we can talk about how expensive it is. Uh, But I, I've, I've been recently using that for another project. The, The idea of type form is a great embodiment of this idea of friction, which is if I, if I go and I have 12 questions on a screen or I have 30 questions on a screen. It's like, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't, it's like when you get a long email, right? If you get a long email, what happens? You, you mark it as on unre- computer. Yeah. You come back, you come back six months later because you forgot. <laughs> if you're lucky, if you're lucky, right? If you're much more likely to answer to, to receive the same amount of content through a series of emails or through a series of chat messages instead of digesting it all at once sometimes. Right. Um, and that's a great example. The other tool there when you're talking about friction in, in a form is like asking some like the demographic information, stuff like name and phone number. And this is kind of also one of those marketing 101 pieces, but like the name, the phone number, the you know, your age, the best place to put those in a form and a survey is at the end, because those are easy. Those don't take any mental pressure. So somebody will do the hard stuff when they have the mental energy for it, but they won't give up at the end and be like, oh, now you're asking for my name. Like people, people never quit a form because of that, but they will quit a form after they put in their name and their address and whatever. But you get to the thing where it's like, oh, now write a paragraph about the customer service. That has to be kind of front loaded. Right, right. Because your response at that point is it was great or it was terrible. And you submit the form. That's actually really, that's great. I wonder how many people are hearing that and immediately scribbling something down or making a voice note to say, got to go back and change the forms on my website ASAP. So my last question for you is just one of curiosity. Is there something that didn't make it into the book 
that you either wish it did or in retrospect would love to have included? Oh, wow. Okay. That's the first time someone's asked me that one. What didn't make it into the book that I would have liked to? There were a couple stories that I thought were good. There's a couple of things that now after talking about the book for mm-hmm. the last few weeks that, oh, you know, I wish I had that line in there. I wish I had that definition changed or, you know, this might be a better example. Actually, here's, here's one small thing. I use slogans several times throughout the book, especially in the beginning, because that's a pretty easy way in for somebody to understand what is a simple message and what is not. But the book's not really about slogans. It's about kind of the wider arena of communicating. And slogans happen to be kind of the more bite-sized way to get there. I would have maybe turned the dial a little bit in that first chapter to emphasize slogans a little bit less and then bring the conversation outwards a little bit bigger to something like emails and presentations and proposals that I think are also important to uh, to focus on. Mm, maybe part of a second edition? Perhaps. I'd be honored if, if this made it to a second edition. I do want, and you're in the, the midst of your book right now, I've been curious, and this is the question I ask like in reverse for a lot of folks. There's two people I've noticed. There's people that love writing the book, and there's people that hate writing the book, but they love having the book. Where do you find yourself in that Oh, that's fascinating. Well, I'm not completely through the end of the process because we're, you know, the book is done or my my draft of the book, my contribution of the book is done, but it's very much in heavy developmental edit right now. So I don't know if I can get down with either of the binary. I think I'm right in the middle uh, as most things in my life (laughs) um, because there are moments when I do love the process. I love how it stretches the edges and it pushes me. And and that I love that friction, if we want to call it that, or that dynamic tension. Mm-hmm. I think I love the idea of it eventually making out, it out into the world. And then I'm already having like future anticipation of like vulnerability whiplash because there are a lot of uh, you know personal stories in the book. So I don't, I don't know if I can fully answer that question now, but you're asking me right now today. That's my answer. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, th- th- that's a, a unique moment in the process. That reminds me of uh, Douglas Adams, the who wrote Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, I just read an account of his process. His editor for one of the sequels had to had to get him a hotel room, get his hotel room next to it, and they locked themselves in. And he had to babysit Douglas Adams for like several weeks to finish the manuscript because Douglas Adams loved being a writer, loved being an author, hated being a writer, so right. he hated doing <laughs> he hated doing it. And he has a great quote, which is, I love deadlines. I love the whooshing sound they make as they fly past. <laughs> but I, I think I have fallen in the, I would totally write some, some, you know, more stuff in the future. I've really enjoyed this process. It, it's a good way to organize your thoughts and to learn new stuff and, yeah. and to get to share with people, which is excellent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's why we yeah. do it, right? I mean, you, you set out to answer a question, but you didn't mm-hmm. just set out to answer that question for yourself or your former clients or your students. It was really to share it with everyone else. And, and it really has been very impactful. It started, you know, to help me think about some of the ways that I message, you know, my work in the world or the speakers agency that I own, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, the applications are, are endless. So the book is out now, just came out about a week ago or so. I absolutely loved it. I <laughs> encourage everyone to go get a copy. We are going to put a link to the Amazon. Or if there's any favorite local bookseller that you know, you'd rather purchase it from, that's great too. But we will put that in the show notes. Ben, thank you so much. I always love having you on. I always love having conversations with you. So thanks again for taking the time to chat with me today. 
Likewise. Thanks so much for having me, Kelly. This has been a lot of fun. And thank you for joining us. If you liked this episode, please rate the show or subscribe wherever you watch or listen. And a big thank you to the official sponsor of Thrive for this year, E2M Solutions, your white label agency partner. Learn more about their approach, services, and subscription plans at e2msolutions.com forward slash thrive.